Hello and welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of One Fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one chapter at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet from me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hi. Hey, how was uh, how's your week? That was pretty good. I feel like I was super stressed for a little while and overwhelmed all the time and then kind of like took a dip after some of that pressure let off. And this mm. week I feel like I'm kind of back in the groove a little bit of like a more balanced place. It's awesome, man. Yeah. That's great. Are you having a grown-up beverage this evening? I am. Got a martini going tonight. Very good. Any garnish? No, I'm, I'm too lazy for that. Same here and same here. Yeah. <laughs> well, che- cheers. So we are talking this week about Matthew chapter 3. Now, if you haven't had a chance to read the translation, please just pause us at the end of this sentence. Semicolon. You can find <laughs> you can find you can find the link to the translation in the show notes. And if you are a sponsor of the show, you will also be able to have comment access on it, period. (laughs) Now pause it. Yeah, please uh, take a chance to read through Matthew chapter three and maybe sneak ahead into four to see kind of how this is starting to flow. And uh, we'll give you a second to read it now. Hey, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed reading. Did you look at the footnotes? If you didn't look at the footnotes, you should totally hit pause again and go do that because there are a There's hell a of a chapter. lot of them in this chapter. It yeah. is so much, man. Yeah. yeah. Which is an indication that we're going to have a hard time uh, fitting in everything we want to hit Just without, so. it, without this being a three-hour episode. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of martini. So let's just start right at the beginning. Like sixth word into your translation is dipper. So I'm used to... Mm-hmm. John the Baptist, who was actually Jewish, but also a Baptist, like already we're (laughs) realizing what's wrong with that word, but you went with dipper. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Why why was that a word worth changing? Um, Because it's not what it, I mean, it is what it, it's too much what it says. Yeah. 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 I I also grew up with Baptist. I have heard other people say baptizer, also John Mm -hmm. the baptizer, which I think is how I put it in the footnotes just to make it really clear what we're talking about but so there's a history there's a history with the word that one of my seminary professors who was he was actually one of the hebrew professors specifically Mm -hmm. but he was was he danish (laughs) was it yeah danish i think he was danish i think he was a bear claw <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting. All right. All right. So my my professor was Danish, and so he had some insight from a different language about how they translate who this John is. Mm-hmm. So the way he said it was in Danish, it's just John the Dipper. Um. Wow. And there's not this other special word like they talk about like yeah when i became a christian joined the church i was dipped like in danish yeah but i would uh, love to be dipped in a danish yeah that sounds great really sticky actually but my body's ready yeah so he told this story and i 
I haven't done a deep dive, to be honest, but the history of it, as far as he explained for English, was the difference between infant baptism, where it involves sprinkling mm-hmm. water on, or older folks mm-hmm. who can make a choice for themselves, mm-hmm. and being dunked, immersed, yeah. fully into the water and back out again. And at the time when the Bible started being translated into English, the people doing that translation work were all infant baptizers that only sprinkled. Okay. And so if they were to actually translate the Greek word, what it actually meant, mm-hmm. which was dipping, which was the word used to describe what you do with a piece of cloth. When you want it to go in undyed, you dip it into the dye and it comes out a different color. Oh, then they would be, they would have to admit that, Hey, we're not doing that. So what they chose to do instead was just take the letters from the Greek word baptizo and they just mm-hmm. transliterated it is the term for just switching out the letters for a different language instead of translate is change the word to a different language's word, transliterate, change the letters to a different yeah. language's yeah. letters. Yeah. So they just transliterated baptizo into English letters and you get baptized. So they invented a whole new English word so that they didn't have to confront that their practice didn't match hmm. biblical mm-hmm. language. I have no interest in just perpetuating that. So I'm going with what the word actually means. So, but I've, I've typically heard it, it means like immerse John, the immerser and he immerses people mm-hmm. that has a different feel to me than dipper and dipping. It does that. the Like when I dip a chip in guacamole, <laughs> when I dip a chip in guacamole, it doesn't get all the way to my fingertips. If I'm mm-hmm. if I'm sharing the guacamole, it doesn't. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I was feeling like the epicness of the word dip. It has a little bit of almost like like a comic relief to talk about John the Dipper. It element is funny. To, it's not the purpose, but it has that impact. And I was thinking, yeah, a Mercer sounds much more serious. Um, but that's not a, not. I mean, that might be part of what you're saying, but that's not the only thing you're saying. It sounds like he was also not a man prone to bullshitting, like. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, he was. He does seem like, if not a serious man, then a man of uh, very forward sincerity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be John the Drowner. Sounds a little bit Game of Thrones ish. It does. Yeah. 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 What is dead may never die. Yeah, Immerser would be correct. I, I mean, yeah, it's not what I went with. It does. I don't know. There's something. That almost feels loaded like I'm trying to prove a point. Like it's not it's not sprinkling, it's immersion. Yeah, like um, there's this like long-standing feud, but well, 500 years of among Protestants quarreling over well, it's actually this way of doing it and it shouldn't be done that way and it should be done this time of life and said, eh, those are important questions, at least the like timing, I guess, but to me but yeah we're not you're, we're not even really trying to like wade in to those waters right now right yeah it wasn't a theological decision on my part it was just like this is the what the dictionary says for this word so this is also a word that the early church picked up on it was an image mm-hmm. that was used you know at the in the finale of matthew's gospel jesus says you know go therefore into all the world baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Dipping 
Yeah, I, I feel like it it adds a little too much comic relief when I think of that. And then mm-hmm. like for like just looking further into the traditions, the unfolding Paul, one of the guys who wrote a big chunk of the Christian scriptures, he developed or like or at least expressed this idea of baptism as a death and rebirth ritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now there's a like you are immersed in death. You are immersed in the the primal energy. It's like you're being laid in the grave. Yeah. So, and then rising again to life. Yeah. And like, I, I, I guess I'm pushing back on dipping here just because it doesn't, I'm losing out on some of that language mm-hmm. or that, that, that continued, that continuity with the tradition. Like well, you would have to we, then maybe we got to change Paul to dipped into new life here. You know, I don't know. Yeah. 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 Uh, which maybe, maybe that'll happen. There's, there's one there, Lord, but, one spirit, one dipping. Yeah. Not no double dipping. Yeah. You know, the Anabaptists, there is something a little bit comic about dip. <laughs> I don't, yep. I don't think it's definition wise. I don't think it's in opposition to what you're saying. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's, you know, strictly definition wise, it still fits. Baptize has this kind of sacred feel to it because it's it's one of our words. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sacrament, right? Yeah. So I would be open to changing this. Probably not to baptize though. Oh yeah. Um, no. No. But if there's another word, word yeah, maybe immerse, maybe immerser. A, a word that we yes, I win. Yeah. Another word that I put in the in our little notes here for this evening's show is plunge, and I I like that it has it sort of captures the best of both words, mm-hmm. except it then means John is John the plunger. So oh, that's son of what's a- the problem? I I don't I don't understand. Oh man, yeah, it's rough. Anything else you want to say about uh, Dipper before we move along? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of connection to it. It's more even than just the, I know, just is the right word. It's even more than what we've already talked about with later scriptures and mm-hmm. the connection between death and, and coming back to li- into life again. There's It was already a Jewish ritual. Like, John didn't make it up. Yeah, it's um, a purification it, ritual. And right? it still yeah. is. Jewish people still do this. They, they have what are called mikvahs, which are mm. specific. I don't know how to just describe it exactly. Like a bath place, like a room that's, and it has living water in it, like fresh, like, so it's not plumbing. It's actually like water flowing into and, and out of it. Yeah. It needs to be moving water. Natural yeah. source. Yeah. And it's used in kind of purification rituals, but, but so that was already a thing and still is a thing, but the, the, that being in the Jordan River was an interesting twist on it that I that I noted. I think is it's not explicit, but I think it's in connection with the story in the Hebrew Bible about a man named Naaman, who was actually a foreign invader, yeah. but that ended up being cured of leprosy by following an Israel Israelite prophet's instructions to dip, bathe, to get in and out of the water seven times in the Jordan river. And his first instinct was like, what that dirty river There's way better rivers where I'm from, but there's, there's this, I think there's a connection there. But 
Yeah, the location in the wilderness, I noticed that you capitalized it. I like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, it is talking about a specific place, but it's also talking about a certain, like a deeper sense of, like this is a theme in the scripture. There's 40 years of wandering in the desert that that their ancestors did between their liberation Mm -hmm. and very complicated homecoming. Mm -hmm. There's in the the liturgical poem that opens the whole pile of Hebrew scripture. There's this picture of the divine breath hovering over creation that is uh, wild and waste, tohu vavohu. It's um, formless mm. and void, right? Like the the wilderness is the de-lifed, under-lifed, under-vivified. It's like a place of non-life, even in the primal story from which life does emerge. Yeah. Or disorganized anyway. I don't know. Yeah. 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 So I like, I don't know how much of this was your intention, but just capitalizing that, like there's all, there's a whole bunch of other notions to wilderness. Like you've got some of the Mm -hmm. footnotes here, but just capitalizing it to say, this is kind of a thing like capitalizing some of these words or phrases is a, it's an editorial decision that is like bolding or grammar in my mind mm-hmm. or italicizing or underlining. It's like, in this case, it's winking at the reader to say, this is kind of a thing. Yeah. Hey, I, I love everything you just said. And I, yes, I am two for two. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like the larger connections Mm-hmm. is not what i had in mind it was more because it was a specific area that was referred to this way that was the name of the area even though it's also just like a word the wild it, place over there right it's kind of like you know we live near mount hood you talk mm-hmm. about going up to the mountain you don't have to say mount hood everyone knows what you mean if you're yeah. going up the mountain yeah um, if the clouds but, are clear we say the mountain's out yeah so the same here, like people talk about the wilderness, like what wilderness? No, you don't ask what wilderness. They know what area they're talking about. Yes. But you're right in that it is a theme that comes up multiple times in Matthew, but also there's a really clear, like the writer of this book was very clearly trying to highlight how Jesus' story kind of was a repetition of the story of Israel. Yeah, And so your connection there with their 40 years in the desert, it's not an accident that it's 40 days in the wilderness here. It's, it's meant to be a parallel. Yeah, he goes through the waters of baptism in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Like Israel went through the waters crossing, the I'll say Reeds. Red Sea yeah. for, but yeah, Reed Sea. Uh, and then 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And then culminating in in his return on the brink of his ministry's beginning is him giving an extended speech that's sort of like here's like a lot of the uh, the core ethics of what I'm about. In mm-hmm. other words, he's giving the Torah. He's yeah. like this that's is Moses' work. Yeah, coming do- down from Sinai. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. this is a pretty conspicuous parallel. It's not just three interesting like Sunday school stories. Right. It's very witty. What, what happened? <laughs> yeah. It's there's a lot going on. And, you know, early in the last chapter, we talked about 
going into Egypt mm-hmm. and then back out again into the in back to Israel. So it, the whole thing tracks. Like there's this whole progression of yeah, following the story in the, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible mm-hmm. that Israel went through. Yeah, and that even like it it shows up like in the creation story, like creation emerges out of the waters. You've got Abraham coming from the land between the rivers, mm-hmm. Mesopotamia, right? And goes through right. the wilderness Which to arrive. The, the annunciation is that Mesopotamia is Greek for in the middle of rivers. Yeah, this is just a big theme in scriptures and it's happening as a really strong opening to this gospel but we haven't gotten to the point where jesus gets dipped so let's move right along yeah I we're still in the first few words aren't we oh. oh man we need to move along uh okay so let's you know we've covered verse one should we go to verse two yeah maybe yeah. So, yeah. transform your minds. Uh, usually that's mm-hmm. repent. Yep. And repent. I immediately understand why you kicked that word the hell out of this. Yeah, there is way <laughs> too much baggage with repent. <laughs> Trope at this point. Yeah, the, the general sense that, that I grew up with, the word repent, is essentially remorse or like have remorse. Be, yeah. be really ashamed of what you've done, who you are, everything about you, basically. I'm but a worm. Yeah. And weirdly, there's nothing about that at all in the definition of the word, the Greek word. It has nothing to do with how you feel at all, or even changing behavior, feeling, being sorry for something, apologizing, regretting, none of that Mm -hmm. does Mm -hmm. not exist in the definition. It's literally meta change noia mind you change your mind and not just like decide to have a different opinion kind of change your mind but like transform your minds like change how your mind works so i've i thought that word gosh i've always heard it means to change direction to turn from i mean that might be involved but noia is pretty clearly about mind yeah but that feels significant to me. It, mm-hmm. it, it's. I've also heard someone teaching that it means like move into a, a large mind, and I'm not really sure where they get that. So I'll, I'll stick with transform your mind. But transform your mind sounds different to me than like change your mind. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus is giving you a new set of opinions. Yeah, yeah. Change is technically correct, but we we just have an idiom already in English: change your mind. That means something a little different. Yeah, so, like I used to think this, now I think that. Right. And that's maybe one small piece of what transforming your mind would be, but not nearly enough. Not just like, oh, I thought, you know, this movie was good, but I've changed my mind and now I don't like it. Like, no, it's it's something bigger, deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if, I know it's very in vogue these days, but perhaps for good reason, like the word consciousness is broadly used like transform your consciousness expand your consciousness deepen yes i think all of that would work none of it of like where your starting point is and where your ending point is is explicit Mm -hmm. here i think that's kind of the point of the whole rest of the book one of the points that you know we we established chapter one is like this is 
working toward Jubilee here. So maybe mm-hmm. transforming your minds in a way that gets you closer to Jubilee. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, something in verse two, Brandon, the divine rain, that's a different way of putting it. I like it. Yeah. Um, Normally it's kingdom of God. King, right? well, kingdom or kingdom of, of heaven. heaven. Yeah. Born in Matthew. Yeah. Yeah. So those of you that don't know, there are four books in, in the Greek Testament that talk, that go over Jesus life. They go over the story of Jesus and three of the four talk about the kingdom of God. Two of them in particular lean heavy on that. This one does traditionally kingdom of heaven. And that is literally what the, what the Greek says is heaven rather than, than divine, Hmm. but it's not talking about a place really. It's not talking about somewhere you go after you die. This is, this is very, He's almost here. I mean, it is like here. It's not about a place. It's about a way of being. So divine is the way I'm capturing this of heaven, of God, that's trying not, trying and kind of intentionally not to use the phrase of God, I think is what happened. It's, it's a way of honoring some of the commandments in the Hebrew Bible of not taking mm-hmm. the Lord's name in vain and G- in Matthew being the most Hebrew. It's an expression of reverence. Yeah. Yeah. So avoiding using the word God, overly using the word God, he, his, it does get used in this book, but is, is kind of the cultural tradition. So mm-hmm. hinting at it without, it's, it's a lot like saying, talking about the president, but talking about the White House made an announcement today. Like the building did no such thing. We're talking about the president. Same, same idea here. The kingdom of heaven Heaven doesn't have a kingdom. God does. Except that also I changed reign. And the idea there is that this idea of kingdom could be a place, could be like the area that a king reigns, like a country, but it's not, certainly not what's in view here. It's not about a piece of land within a particular set of borders. It's more about kingship, like the reign, like the the being out, having your allegiance be devoted to the reign mm-hmm. of this ruler in mm-hmm. this case, God and God, the way of the Lord being what you're having your allegiance mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. I know a number of other folks who, who do a little ad hoc translation will often say because kingship or kingdom is Got some patriarchy energy to it. Sure. We don't have a lot it's of kingdoms. Got... No. There are a few. But... And because God is beyond gender, it's weird to just have this like gendered thing be at the core of Jesus's announcement. Sure. So anyway, yeah, totally understandable reasons to feel a little squirmy about that mm-hmm. word. They'll say kingdom, which is, sure. it's okay. It's cute. It's maybe appropriate to my reading, I'll just mm-hmm. sit in my like esteeming opinion throne here and say that makes more sense like liturgically as a language that we use together. But in terms of like actually what the scripture is saying, yeah, kingdom, kingdom is a, is a cool word that captures something neat about what we mean by it. But yeah, oh, I mean, I'm trying to do the Bible. There, I want to be a little bit more. Yeah, there's there is a lot that scripture has to say about being a family essentially yeah um, yeah and so kingdom works for that 
and using that, like you said, in conversation with each other as a shared language or in messages during like sermons and stuff for yeah. church and sermons. Yeah, it's great, but it's not really exactly what scripture is saying right here. Yeah, yeah and so. So this is another, this is kind of one of the ongoing principles of your translation is if the translation is at, at some level faithful, like is a reasonable linguistic correspondence to the Greek, mm -hmm. but it is so, it ha it's complicated enough, either it's a religious technical term or it's, ca it, just now means something else like Baptists or if it in any other way becomes an obstacle for the reader and the, the, the listeners uh, of this text. And in this case, yeah, kingdom, there's other ways where you can capture basically the heart of what the word is without needlessly complicating it with kind of the implications of patriarchy and, you know, granted, Christ was in a, Jesus was in a patriarchal culture. Yeah. Even if I were talking about a particular land within a set of borders, realm yeah. would work, country would work. You know, there are other words that it could work besides kingdom that would not be too confusing. It might be a little less natural, I guess, but worth mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Okay. Verse six. Six. Yeah. They were speaking aloud their deviations. Yeah, if you're at all familiar with scripture, that's going to sound weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I believe I'm used to hearing something in the neighborhood of confessing their sins. Oh, don't even say it. Yeah. I said it, yeah. Oh. But what, the, what does that mean, Brandon? Sins. <laughs> Rule-breaking sin is is a, from a list of things that religious authorities say you shouldn't do and it's expressive of a deeper dark magic to reality that is like capital s sin that alienates me from god and i feel lots of shame about it and yeah that's that that and more is kind of the I think near the center of gravity of how mm -hmm. people yeah. of the book hear that word. Yeah. Yeah. If you have been exposed to a lot, you might even have a distinction, like you said, of a, a lowercase and an uppercase sins versus thin, where it's lowercase sins is various bad behaviors. Uppercase thin is essentially the quality of being worthless which we are enslaved to and yeah 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 having which, this this unavoidable but somehow you're still fully responsible for quality of being bad i don't have time to talk about how much that is not great yeah yeah there are um, there are many reasons like to see if we can just find a better way of capturing the energy that hamartia is uh yeah, because there's the Greek word, right? Hamartia. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's helpful to talk about what that word really means. To me, go for it. Yeah, so it's a metaphor. It's not, it's not a religious technical term in the Greek. Jesus is not pulling a word that would have been a religious word 
for Greek speakers at the time. So he's, the not arch- making, he's not speaking in like theological Greek. No, he's archery is, is where this comes from, not religion. So it was the term for when you put an arrow to your bow, pull the string, release the string, the arrow goes flying, and it doesn't quite hit what you intended it to hit. It's missing the mark, missing the target, missing the bullseye, maybe. That's what this word means. And it's borrowed from something entirely non-religious. Mm-hmm. Um, it's supposed to be accessible to people who speak Greek. Yeah. And may, may or may not have a particular religious affiliation. So can I ask you then, uh, what's the Hebrew word that we translate as, it's typically translated into the word sin? It's the Hebrew word hata which means uh-huh. straying from the path. Yeah, which is not that far from missing the mark or straying from the trajectory, perhaps. Yeah. To deviate. Mm-hmm. Deviate from the path, deviate from the trajectory, deviate from the way. Oh, good Dallas there. I like it. Yeah, I mean, or, you know, Christian. We talk about in Acts, it calls Christianity the way. Yeah, yeah. The way of, and when, in my tradition anyway, we talk about the way of the Lord quite a bit or the way of Christ. The Jesus way is the way yeah. of peace. In his, yeah. in his name, all wars shall cease. Yes. So deviation, I, I chose deviation as a way to try to honor what the word means. I would have loved to stick with the metaphor as the Greek word is a metaphor. And I thought about stray. Um, stray from the court, stray off course, or or something like that, and it it felt too blamey, I guess, too mm-hmm. judgmental, because as I go through Matthew, there there's there is kind of this assumption that that straying, deviating from the, the picture of like everything being good everything being the way it's supposed to be is people's fault. Mm, mm -hmm. But Jesus is challenging that. And so you have this teaching here and then through chapters five through seven, which is known traditionally as the Sermon on the Mount of talking about deviations, the ways that things should be, the ways Mm -hmm. that things are going well, the ways that things are good for everyone. And then following that in starting in chapters eight and then going through several chapters after that, you have several examples of people who are discussed as having deviations. I just did air quotes, but you can't see it if you're a listener here, who are not described as making bad decisions, who are doing bad behavior, but Hmm. of having like medical conditions, uh, man who's paralyzed, a woman with a 14-year uterine hemorrhage, which would have made both of them ritually unclean, impure, however you want to put it, meaning that they had to isolate from other people 
They couldn't worship in the temple. They were considered spiritually dangerous, basically, because of their medical conditions. And they're not the only ones. There's several. There's there's a centurion's servant who was healed. There's Peter's mother who was healed. There's someone's daughter who was healed. Like example after example after example of Jesus forgiving people the deviation who... There's no indication that that deviation had anything to do with their behavior or their sin nature and, and everything to do with their exclusion from society because of their medical conditions. Hmm. I can think of a few contexts in our world where medical diversity is grounds for exclusion, according to some, mm-hmm. in the name of religion. Absolutely. And so Jesus is saying, that's bullshit. Yeah. That's the opposite of the way of the Lord. And those things need to be let go. And that's a huge part of what I'm here to do. Yeah. And so sin, if we're defining it as being bad or doing bad things, it can't cover what Jesus means by the word hamartia. Yeah. So they are being dipped by John in the Jordan River and speaking aloud. What does it mean to speak aloud this sense of deviation to you? Yeah, the traditional... Confess, yeah. Yeah, traditionally it's confess. There's like fess up to? No. No, I mean, like, that's... Like, yeah. confess has that energy of, like, I confess. Yeah. Okay, sure. Uh, it was right. a pretty quick yeah, yeah. pro quo. That's, that's yeah. what confess means, which is why I didn't use it. In some of the more, if if you grew up Christian and are immersed in this stuff, you might have come across language that talks about confessing Jesus, which doesn't, so it's not inherently a bad thing that you're confessing, but which is what I'm leaning on here. We're speaking aloud for everyone to hear yeah. what's true, mm-hmm. what we're affirming what we're disclosing about ourselves. Um, So confessing Jesus is disclosing that I have committed myself to allegiance with Jesus, to the way of Jesus. But to speak aloud, the the deviations is sort of the emphatic of that. Yeah. Sort of. I don't think we've talked about much the fact that I'm also a therapist. No, we have not. So my understanding of shame, which is also a biblical theme, as well as a counseling theme, uh, psychology mm-hmm. theme, is that shame thrives on hiding because it's all about I'm bad and everything about me needs to like be pulled away from, from other people. And so... If I'm speaking aloud the things that I'm ashamed of, whether it's because of my behavior or medical conditions or whatever it is, whether it's my mm-hmm. fault or not. Wow, that's son of a shit. That's good. That takes away the power of the shame. Yeah. And that makes it so much more likely that I'm going to experience much more life. I'm going to be free from the heaviness, the burden, this like this toxic weight 
of shame surrounded by what again truly like maybe it's because i did things that hurt other people Mm -hmm. that that didn't follow the way of the lord maybe it's because other people did things against me that made me doubt whether i'm good maybe i was abused maybe i was oppressed and in order to make sense of it i've started to believe that I deserved it. Maybe it's because without any explanation at all, I'm, I have a medical condition. I'm disabled. I neurodivergent. I I don't fit the expectations of other people. And I've been treated as if I deserve whatever I get. Exile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Alienation. But if I can speak aloud what my experience is that takes away the shame that enables true connection with other people who get it, Mm -hmm. with Jesus, with John, with God, and I can have... No, 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 no. I was going to misspeak and say I can have value again. No, I can know my value again. Mm Mm-hmm. That's Mm. the significance of speaking aloud, my deviations, my how I'm different from expectations. Yeah, it's this both and instead of like a profoundly individual recount, if limiting it to this individual recounting of rule breaking Mm -hmm. and dispositions. And, you know, there's a catharsis, as you're saying, to airing that out. Yeah. There's a de- there's a shame detox that goes with that. But to add in so like that in my own self, in my own interior awareness, these are the things that I f- make me feel alienated from myself, from others, from the divine, from the land, from my past. And here are all the things. I don't know if this is what they did. I don't think there's a precedence for this in church history, but doggone it, I hunger for it, is to also include these are the things about me that as far as I can tell contribute to a sense of alienation, Mm. exclusion, oppression, exile. I'm a woman. I'm trans. I'm black. I don't speak English well, I'm I'm too old. I'm too young. Like there's a naming of the things that we feel in ourselves, maybe part of our own. Yeah, the list arm. of acceptable people gets shorter and shorter the longer you go. Yeah, I'm not a. Yeah, yep. That that would be profound. You know, when I when I first joined, well, helped start up a a church 13 years ago. I had this experience where as we were gathering our own practices more than formal dogma, I was like cataloging all the ways that I was like theologically different and I felt sh- mm-hmm. some sense of shame. And I wrote out, I don't think this about the Bible. I, I don't think hell is a thing. I think God is like this. I, this you know, on down the list, this is my list of things that make me feel these are th- this is what's in the closet for me. Th- these are the ways in which I am closeted. Yeah. And I because if you were fully honest about that, what would have happened? 
some people would have prioritized the decision of either Brandon goes or they go, mm-hmm. which for some of them that ultimately I think happened, but it would have happened maybe sooner if we had forced those conversations. Yeah. You're because forced I sub- the choice of being able to belong in your relationships or being honest about what's true for you. Yeah. In choosing not to rock the boat, we just didn't get there as quickly. Like delayed the inevitable confession. Confession was a form of rowing the boat that just would have at that point gotten more water in the boat, which would have made some people probably jump or me. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for eventually moving past that. But I also now this evening, as I reflect on this broader sense of deviations, grieve that that sort of confession of ways in which we feel it doesn't mean like the idea of this being a, a, a more regular rhythm of a church could easily go into a codependent trajectory. I heard Crispin Mayfield say on his podcast, there's some old saying about to, you know, the, you know, the couple is are both codependent when they go see a movie. Neither of them wanted to. Oh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want it to be like, well, we're all saying the things that make us nervous about our belonging and therefore we'd like respond out of our. Yeah, but that's what we do, right? Belonging is whether we like it or not, whether we admit it or not, like second to like not dying, it's the most important motivator we have. Belonging and then mortality. Yeah. Yeah. And so we we do whatever we can to belong. And that might look like trying to be the one who decides how to belong and dominating other people with that. Or it might look like completely abandoning ourselves and trying to like comport ourselves to fit some weird yes. definition of what fitting in means. Fitting in means I don't, yeah get other people wet. I don't rock the boat. Yeah. Yeah. So we've made it to verse six. Yeah. And and again, I think I've mentioned a few times, (laughs) but like behaving in ways that are incompatible with the way of the Lord count. Mm -hmm. They're included in what I'm calling uh, deviation. Yeah. But it's not, exclusively what it means which is essentially entirely what i've what i've been taught in my church tradition growing up and i can't keep that understanding when i actually read the bible yeah come on yeah so together we might i I, i'll say these deviations the hamartia is it's at least experiences that hinder shalom that hinder our homecoming and flourishing Mm mm-hmm and hasten exile that hasten the waters closing in. Yeah. And just sticking with the metaphor that Jesus chose deviations is a a nod to that. Hey, what do you think about capitalizing it? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe it only gets capitalized. Maybe it only gets capitalized in like the epistles. Ah, I don't know. Anyway, Uh, too much baggage going on anyway but yes yeah 
the next thing that we, we had noted is something to touch on is in verse 12. So we skip a whole bunch, which is fine. There are footnotes if people are interested in what. Yeah, we're not doing just a commentary. We're trying to talk about but, the actual translation. Um, right? Yeah, but so there's this word at the very end of verse 12 that means essentially, like in, if you look it up in the lexicon, a fancy word for a dictionary, it uh, says in, unquenchable or unquenched. So people see that paired with fire and they think, oh, hell, eternal damnation, conscious, unending torture by fire. Right. And it's like, come on, man, this, this is not talking about afterlife. This is something, there's no indication yeah. in the context that there's anything about afterlife in view here whatsoever. Let's look at the context and actually like read what's happening here instead of deciding that we're going to like make it mean what we think it should mean. Yes. And sometimes that's unavoidable. Like sometimes you have to make a decision because it's unclear, but this is pretty clearly not that. Mm -hmm. So I put it as because I'm looking at the context, Jesus telling the, the Pharisees and the other religious leaders, like, Oh, you think because you are uh, descendants of Abraham, that you can escape the impending anger is how I translate it. But like, yeah, the, the, the retribution to come might be another way to put it, but escaping a word. So I decided like, let's be consistent. So I put, you'll burn up in the fire with no chance of escape. Cause this fire isn't getting put out before it does what it's supposed to do. I suppose if you really, really stretched it, it could be like literally eternal unending past the end of time kind of unquenchable but like who would talk like that yeah like that's not there's no context to support that no and this is again this is a greek word that exists outside of christianity so yeah yeah well and to rewind a little to the uh, the sin thing the hebrew people at this time near as we can tell were living in a story, one of the stories they told about their own alienation and oppression, the kind of thing that they would be confessing mm -hmm. in a cleansing liberation ritual would be that which is perpetuating our exile, the mm. sins of our ancestors and perhaps of ourselves is keeping us like they were dragged mm -hmm. 600 years ago out by an empire out of their land that they believed was entitled to them by God. Yeah. Hint at because that. of their injustice and idolatry. Deportation to Babylon. Yep. Yeah. The deportation to Babylon, the exile to Babylon, the, the law given to them by Moses made it pretty clear. You sin in these ways, injustice and idolatry, and you're getting the boot. Yeah. So or that's the story they're living through. For those of you who are interested, like looking at where that comes from, the Hebrew Bible... The book we know as Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 30 are where that kind of idea comes from. Bingo. Yeah, it's reading that with the book of Matthew is really, really helpful. It's helpful for the whole yeah. Christian scripture, but it it shows up more than you might think. If yeah. you just think of it as like, this is the story that the people are marinated in. Yeah, I would say... I mean, there are tons of Hebrew Bible references throughout Matthew, but if you only ever looked at two, 
Look at Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 28 through 30. That's going in the show and notes. That, yeah, that will clarify it. The basically the themes of the entire book of Matthew. So if you think of this this ministry that Jesus and John are up to broadly, oh, I'm using a religious technical term with ministry, aren't I? Oof. If you're looking at the the activism and community the organized, yeah, the way of literally yeah, means yeah, ministry just means yeah. like helping. If you look at their like vocational helping here, they're saying this part this oh how do you put it not forgiveness of deviations but dismissal of deviations elsewhere that's a moving beyond the story that kept you in oppression this is a ritual to get beyond that and work it's getting to a point where that kind of consequence of your deviations is going to result in catastrophe or the way of life that's what they're saying here. And because we hear it in the language of confessing sins and this like this thing about fire where we're like the, we're so enculturated to hear anything about fire is like, ah, that's that's about hell. That's about hell. it's not. It's about this story of national judgment or inter pan national belonging. And that's what is being set up here in the first act of this story. And your translation is by purging all the language that held us to a different story, which is John recognized our deepest problem is we're all assholes bound for hell. Jesus is like, yeah, man, dip me too. Also, (laughs) some of you are going to hell. That's the core story is not heaven and hell. After you die, the core story is heaven and hell while we are alive here. And so by like screwing around with the words here, you're really heal like giving space for us to hear the actual story that Jesus and John are living in and and moving forward. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I can say, I mean, I'm working through Matthew still at this point. We're in chapter three right now, but I'm, I'm translating 21 currently i mean i've I've yet to discover anywhere that it's talking about afterlife that's amazing yeah you're three quarters of the way through uh old maddie and nothing about what happens after we die Mm -hmm. if that sounds absurd to you dear listeners Keep listening. We're going to work our way through these passages and just see, indulge us and see what you might find in this translation. So the place that story that Jesus and John are living in kind of culminates in this next big chapter of human consciousness, all things being well. Mm -hmm. And that shows up in which verse? Is it 15? That is 15. Yeah. Yeah, we're used to... What's the conventional reading here? The conventional is righteousness. Can you say the whole phrase? It's how we can't... Here, let me uh, (coughs) have another version pulled up just for this. We need so many tabs. I know. The traditional is uh, this, let, let it happen for it is right for us to fulfill all righteousness. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Yeah, that is 
I have two seminary seminary degrees and it just sounds like a religious gobbledygook. That is definitely an instance of like semi semantic satiation. Yeah. We read that and we think, Oh yeah. You know, you know, fulfill our righteousness. Of course, that's what this would say. And we move on Mm -hmm. and have no idea what it actually means. The word righteousness is translating dikaiasune. I have that as all things being well. In an earlier chapter, he talks about Joseph being a man who was righteousness traditionally, or I translate it as committed to justice. Mm-hmm. So it's a little different, right? So not necessarily committed to all things being well. So I made a choice here, like which one fits better, justice or all things being well? And those are kind of the two I lean on throughout the translation. Depending on the context for those. But yeah, there's so many ways to translate that word. It's one of those that yeah, it's so limber with across the different authors of the sacred library that we mm-hmm. call the Christian scriptures. That I wish there was a way to sort of, you know, I guess I'm having this like crush on the idea of capitalizing. I don't actually think it should happen here uh, necessarily, but like capitalizing all things being well because yeah like there are times when it's appropriate to say covenant faithfulness or holy belonging mm. that sort of sense of the kind of your inness declared by the divine paul is all about that stuff in some of his letters and he's using the same word here as what is conventionally translated righteousness we have a broad range of meaning for this word. It's so frustrating, but also thrilling here. Cause I, I find this makes much better sense of this passage to me like that, that clicks really well. Yeah. And I think right living or something like that could capture it too. And I, I've looked into like some Buddhist writings. And so there's like a, one of the core pieces of Buddhism is the eightfold path. And it's this yes. list of eight things that all starts with like, right. Mindfulness, right. Whatever, like, right. All of them start with the word, right. When it's translated into English anyway. And I, I wonder. You might call them right thing extremists. Okay. Please don't. <laughs> Most Buddhists are far from that. Yeah. And I think that fits here if you're defining like right living or a right way of being as a way of being that follows the teachings of the Lord that lead to all things being well. But I think there's something about English that has this inherent like good, bad, right, wrong. It's very dualistic. In, in in just how we use language. So when we say right living, like that probably technically would be a correct way to translate this or righteous, righteousness, righteousness. But it's like an inherent, for the way we use that word right in English, it means like correct. Good is instead of bad. Like there's this really judgmental energy behind it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that judgmental energy is faithful to what this really means. Yeah, it doesn't mean rule follower. No, that you're correct instead of incorrect, or yeah, following all the rules instead of breaking the rules. Good behavior instead of bad behavior is not 
it's not what this is. If you're following the instructions God gives, it'll make things be better, but it's not because you're an obedient soldier who's like, doesn't ever deviate from the, the orders you're given. It's because like God's instructions are based in what's good for people. And we're like mm-hmm. living in a way that's good for ourselves and good for each other that like benefits us that leads to collaboration and cooperation instead of oppression and power over others and violence. That's what's trying to be captured here. Not any sense of like, I didn't meet the expectations or I did. That's wonderful. Well, you know, that gets us to the end, the third chapter of Matthew. Looking ahead, we've got some saucy banter between Jesus and the accuser. But that is for next week. We are both really thankful that you took the past stretch of time to join us for this leg of the journey. As I said earlier in the show, the easiest way to support Found in Translation is to leave us a rating or review in your podcast player of choice. That makes it easier for more people to find the show notes and maybe find those people in the comments on the Google document for this translation. How do you get to that comment section on the translation? Well, become a sponsor of the show for just $5 a month. When you do that, yeah, you get to comment on it and the satisfaction that you are supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. You can find the link for how to join the community in the show notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry FM on Chinook Land. Say goodbye, Brandon. Bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>